Welcome to the DNA of Creation. I'm Gavriel Horan, and I'd like to share with you some mystical Kabbalistic insights into Hanukkah on today, the last day of Hanukkah. The candles are burning low, but their glow will give us strength throughout this, the rest of the winter. And um, as we try to get some lasting inspiration and insights into life based on Hanukkah, I also want to tie it in at the end to the Torah portion of the week, which is Miketz, which talks about the story of Yosef, Joseph's, who was sold into Egypt last week, betrayed by his brothers, and this week he rises up to become the viceroy of Egypt, interpreter of dreams to Paro, Pharaoh, and inevitably reconnects to his brothers and creates a scheme to bring them down into Egypt. <clears throat> so let's start by asking a question on Hanukkah. The mystical and actually quite uh, ancient commentaries on Hanukkah point out that there are 36 candles of Hanukkah not including the shamash. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 6 plus 8 equals 36. And they point out that the 36 candles of Hanukkah correspond to the 36 hours of the original light of creation, which was in the world for the first 36 hours of Adam's life, and was then taken away. So the Torah says, on the first day of creation, that God created light. And the Talmud says that God saw that that light was too pure and too powerful and would be abused by human beings and therefore was hidden away for tzaddikim, for the righteous, in the future, in the Messianic era. We're talking about some sort of spiritual light and it's referred to as the Or Haganus, the hidden light, hidden spiritual light of not physical sight, but of insight, of spiritual insight. A light that we says that Adam was able to see from one end of the universe uh, until the other. He was utilizing this light. And every day of creation, when God creates something, he says, and it was Cain, it was so except for on that first day, because it was not so. Because that light, although it was created on the first day, was not meant to last. And after Adam did his sin, the light remained for the first 12 hours of his life. Adam was created Friday morning. And then it continued throughout Shabbos for another 24 hours. And then after Shabbos, the light was removed from the world and Adam was left in darkness. And that's why we have a custom to light candles before Shabbos. Women have a custom of lighting candles, it says, because women removed through Chava, Eve's uh, participation in that sin, removed the light from the world, and therefore women specifically light candles before Shabbos. And then after Shabbos, we make Havdalah, we must make a blessing on a braided candle, because after Shabbos, when Adam and Eve were left in darkness, Adam had to go out and learn at that moment how to create fire. He took some sticks, rubbed them together, and created 
fire, and therefore every Saturday night after Shabbos, we make a blessing on light, because now there's a new light that was brought into the world that came about through our actions. So Hanukkah corresponds to those 36 hours of original light that Adam experienced. There's a certain spiritual insight that we can gain by looking specifically at the Hanukkah candles. So the question that I'd like to ask you is why, if the light was going to be taken away from Adam, why did he have it in the first place? What was the benefit of having had that experience of original light? And I'll make the question stronger by pointing out that the Talmud says that a fetus, when it's in its mother's womb, is taught the entire Torah. There's an angel that sits with it and teaches that child the entire Torah, the meaning of life, the purpose of existence, that child's own mission in life. And the Talmud says that the child has a candle on its head, and with the light of that candle, the fetus can see from one end of the universe to the other. Once again, somehow that fetus is connecting to the original light of creation, spiritual light, which now allows him to have complete insight into existence. And right before the child is born, the angel hits him on the mouth, and the child forgets the entire Torah. So once again, same question. If the child is going to, the fetus is eventually going to forget that Torah and lose that light, so why did it have it in the first place? So I want to begin to answer this question with a discussion about the menorah in the temple. Now we've discussed many times this week different meanings of Hanukkah. And one thing that remains is why specifically did the miracle at the time of the Hanukkah story take place with the menorah in the temple? Could have taken place with many other items that they had in the temple. Why specifically the menorah? So I want to explain what the meaning of the menorah is. The Torah in the book of um, Numbers tells a story that the princes, I'm sorry, in the book of Leviticus, I believe, I believe that's correct. Tells a story of the Hanukkah, the first Hanukkah of the Mishkan, of the sanctuary in the desert. What's a Hanukkah? The word Hanukkah means inauguration. So when the very first sanctuary was built in the desert, there was a period, an inauguration period, in which the princes of the 12 tribes came and brought sacrifices and different gifts and donations to the altar. And the Torah, right next to that discussion, the Torah then juxtaposes it to a discussion of the mitzvah of lighting the menorah, which Aaron, the high priest, was commanded for him and all of his generations to light the candles in the menorah every single day in the temple, in the sanctuary. And the commentaries point out why is there a connection? What's the connection between the Hanukkah of the sanctuary, and the lighting of the menorah. So Rashi points out 
a, based on a medrash, a Talmudic teaching, that Aaron became depressed when he saw all the gifts of the princes because his tribe did not bring any gifts. And there was some prophetic uh, inspiration to bring those gifts, and his tri- he never received that prophecy, so his tribe didn't bring these voluntary gifts for the Mishkan, and he was depressed, and he thought maybe his tribe was in trouble, the tribe of the, of the Levium, because of his involvement in the sin of the golden calf. And he got a little bit depressed. And then the Torah tells Aaron to, to light the menorah. And Rashi says that Hashem was telling Aaron, don't be depressed, because your portion is even greater than theirs. Because although you didn't bring any of the initial inaugurary gifts to the temple, you, however, are going to do something even greater. You're going to light the menorah every single day in the temple. You're going to prepare the wicks and the candles. And that is even greater, because that will last forever. So, that's Rashi. The Ramban, Nachmanides, famous medieval commentary, asks a couple of very intense and strong questions on Rashi. The Ramban says, why is the menorah, lighting of the menorah in the temple, give Aaron any consolation? Aaron was upset because he didn't get to bring an optional, a voluntary offering. It was so exciting to be part of that initial inauguration of the sanctuary, to be part of giving those very first sacrifices and gifts to the temple. The menorah is not voluntary. The menorah wasn't the first time something was given. What's the comparison? It's like, if you imagine uh, you spent many years training to become a chef, and finally you open up your own restaurant. You put lots and lots of energy into building it up, and you have the ribbon-cutting ceremony, and you invite the mayor of the town and all your relatives, and they come, and they cut the ribbon, and there's bands playing. You open up your restaurant. You're so excited. And then suddenly you remember that you forgot to invite Uncle Louie. And you feel really bad about it. You call him up, Louie? I'm so sorry I forgot to invite you to the ribbon-cutting ceremony, but I want you to know you are invited to do dishes in the kitchen every day of the week. What kind of consolation is that for Uncle Louie? So that's the Ramban's question on Rashi. What connection does lighting of the menorah have to do with the original offerings that were brought to the temple? Question number two, the Ramban says, the menorah isn't even unique to Aaron. A Kohen, a priest, does not have to light the menorah. The menorah could even be lit by someone who isn't a Kohen. So why is that a consolation? Additionally, a menorah is obligatory, it's not voluntary. And furthermore, Aaron, the Kohen, brings every sacrifice in the temple Every single one of them, including those very first ones that were brought by the princes of the tribes. So Aaron should know already that he has a special job to play. Why is the menorah more of a consolation than the fact that he gets to bring everything every single day in the temple? 
And furthermore, there were certain specific sacrifices that were extremely unique to Aaron, like the bringing of incense into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, which can only be done by the high priest. Why is the menorah somehow special or more special than that? So those are the questions that the Ramban asks on Rashi. And the Ramban answers that really, the lighting of the menorah that the Torah is talking about as a consolation was the menorah that took place in the second temple period, the story of Hanukkah that we know and love, the eight days celebration where the oil, one jar of oil burned for eight days. Says the Ramban, that is what the Torah is saying is a consolation. Aaron, you might not have been part of the initial inauguration of the temple, but your descendants will someday defeat the Greeks and the, the temple will be defiled and impure, and your descendants will purify it, and they will rededicate the temple. And that dedication, i.e. the lighting of the menorah that took place in the time of the Hashmanayim, that one will last forever. Because even though the temple itself will eventually be destroyed by the Romans, the lighting of the menorah will take place by Jews in their own homes for every generation. And in fact, we see that although there are Jews today that don't keep any other mitzvah in the Torah, they continue to light Hanukkah candles. Because on Hanukkah, every Jew gets the status of the high priest. And in our own, our own homes become a temple, and we bring the light of the temple into our own homes. That's the Ramban's answer. That there are, in a sense, two phases to life. And we'll discuss these phases in more depth in a moment. But there's phase number one, the original inauguration, the original inspiration, and that is a gift. Right? In life, we all have moments of inspiration when things are easy and inspiring. Whether it's love at first sight, the beginning of a new relationship, the beginning of a new job or a new school, when things are fantastic and exciting. I often say that a trip to Israel we bring students to Israel, they're inspired, they love it, they want to stay, they want to learn. But inevitably, phase two steps in. Phase two is when the inspiration leaves. And most of us, when that inspiration leaves, we say, all right, I guess it wasn't real. And we move on with our lives. Guess that wasn't the right one. We break up. Guess I need a new job. And we all know people that jump from job to job, experience to experience, always looking for that inspiration, that high. So says the Ramban that this second phase is really there to separate between the men from the boys. Because the people who utilize the times when the inspiration leaves as a time to integrate the experience and to build it up on our own, then eventually comes stage three, which is when the light returns. This new light, which comes about through our actions, lasts forever. That's what the Ramban is telling us, that Hanukkah that we celebrate represents the greater revelation of light, which is the one that comes through our efforts. Again, every experience in life comes in three phases. First is a free gift. That's, that's beginner's luck, love at first sight, free inspiration. Then the inspiration leaves. We're left in a place of darkness where we don't feel inspired, where we feel down even, maybe depressed. We lost that inspiration. We lost that enthusiasm. And that moment 
says the Torah, is the opportunity for us to earn it back. To say, I want in. I want to make this my own. I want to earn it. And then by putting in the effort, we can bring back phase three, which is when the light comes back. But this time it was through our own actions. It was no longer a free gift. And we're able to hold on to it. Because according to Kabbalah, free gifts don't last. We don't want stuff for free. We want to earn our reward in this world. We want to work for it. Because the stuff you work for is the stuff that you appreciate. It's the stuff that really lasts in life. So what I want to do now is go back and ask Rashi, how did he explain the story in the Torah? How is the lighting of the menorah in the temple the first time around, every day, lighting those candles, how is that a consolation for Aaron? The Ramban's questions on Rashi are very strong. Again, Rashi said, somehow the lighting of the menorah itself is a consolation that that Aaron wasn't part of that first inspiration. How could that be? The first inspiration is so exciting. Lighting candles every single day? What's inspirational about that? And again, it wasn't voluntary. It was obligatory. And on top of that, Aaron had all sorts of other things that he did every day in the temple. So what's so unique about the lighting of the candles? So I want to share with you what I believe is the true meaning of the menorah ritual of the candles that were lit every single day in the temple. So Rashi tells us a few insights in Parsha's Balascha, where he explains the, the lighting of the menorah ritual. And the first point Rashi says is that Aaron was supposed to light the candles until the flame caught on by itself. He would hold the flame there until the wick would catch all by itself. He wouldn't force it, he would just let it happen on its own. Second point, Rashi tells us that something very interesting. The Torah says, Vayas Cain Aaron, and Aaron did as he was told. Cain. He lit the candles as he was told. And many ask, as Rashi points out, we see from this the greatness of Aaron that he did exactly what he was told. He did not change one bit. Well, that sounds very strange to praise Aaron, who, whose entire life was dedicated to serving God, what's so unique about the fact that he did what he was told and didn't change? Question number three, the Torah tells us, and the Talmud explains, that Moshe had a hard time building the menorah. He got very confused by the elaborate details of the menorah. And it says that Hashem showed him a fiery image, a vision of what the menorah would look like. And now Moshe understood. And then he tried to build the menorah. And again, he had a hard time building it until he finally just threw the gold into the fire and the menorah popped out. It made itself. And this is uh, hinted to, alluded to, in the way that the Torah describes the building of the menorah, that it was made by itself. So we have to ask a question. If... In the end, the menorah we built on its own. So why did Hashem have to show Moshe a vision of the menorah? So I believe that in the story of the building of the menorah, we can understand, again, this message that we just discussed of the two, three phases of every experience. Moshe was first shown a vision 
a vision of the big picture, the totality of possibilities of what could exist. That's phase one. That's the love at first sight experience. When everything is perfect, it's unbelievable. You're inspired. You never want it to end. And then suddenly, the vision goes away and you're faced with the reality that it's, it's going to take work. And at that point, you can either throw away the relationship or you can put in the effort of one step after another, building the relationship. And that's Moshe building the menorah, trying one day after another. It's not going, it's not working. And finally, in the end, the menorah builds itself. The message is that we have to put in our efforts to rekindle the flame of inspiration. But in the end, the inspiration comes on its own. And that's the message of the menorah itself. It's easy to be inspired when things are easy. That first time, bringing the first gifts and sacrifice to the temple, everyone's inspired. That's easy. What's much harder is to constantly stay inspired on a daily basis once it becomes routine. And that's what it means, Vyas Kane Aaron. And Aaron did, as he was told, he did not change, Rashi tells us. He didn't change, say, the Hasidic commentaries from the inspiration of the very first time. He was able to keep that inspiration going every single day. What do we mean by that? That the mitzvah of the menorah is that every single day of your life, you have to put your inspiration into action. You have to light tiny flames. The candle represents mitzvahs. Acts of kindness, divine acts, commandments, small actions to rekindle the flame of inspiration on a daily basis. And that is much greater than the initial inspiration because this inspiration lasts forever. And that's the inspiration that comes through your efforts, through your work. So the message of the menorah is to rekindle the flames every single day. And that's the message that you have to hold the flame up until it catches on its own. Let it happen. Because that second light, that inspiration that comes, that's a gift. But it's a gift that came about through your efforts. And now I think we can understand a couple of very amazing things. The commentaries point out that Vyas Cain Aaron, the word Cain that Aaron did as he was told when he lit the menorah is the word that's missing on the first day of creation because it wasn't thus. Because the first day of creation, there was a light that was created, but that light was not meant to last. When Aaron lit the menorah, he brought back the original light of creation, the light of insight that allows you to see from one end of the world to the other. And that's precisely why the light was created. If only to be removed was to give us a taste, a taste of what could be, that every Jew, every person has in their heart, in their soul, a vision of the totality of creation, of the purpose of reality. Every child, when it's in its mother's womb, is taught the entire Torah, is taught the meaning of life. They see from one end of the world to the other. And yet, even though that light is taken away, it's inside us. And learning is the, is the experience of bringing out what you already know. I believe that Plato or Socrates says that the, when, when you learn something and you get that aha moment of having figured out, you say, it clicks, you get it, 
the reason it why did why do you get it when it when you get the answer why does it suddenly make sense the answer is because you're just oh aha I remember that I knew it already and that's why education in Torah is the same word as Hanukkah chinuch means to educate because it's to bring back the spark to bring us back to that initial spark of that first inspiration so. The message of the menorah is that we have to do actions to bring about our own inspiration. And I want to tie it all together. We said that we light on the left side, according to the Talmud, the left side of the door represents negativity and judgment in our lives. We light close to the ground. Again, negative place, negative forces of the earth. We light in a public place not a private place, a public place which represents, again, negativity, multiplicity. We light at, in darkness at night, and we light in the winter, the darkest time of the year, the longest nights of the year, because the message of Hanukkah is bringing light into the darkness. But the way we do it is through mitzvahs, through acts of goodness, acts of kindness, small actions to help rekindle that flame. If a person's feeling depressed, if a person's feeling down, there are two ways to lift themselves up. First is to do good things. Do actions. You want to change your mood? It's very hard to change your emotions, but you can change your thoughts and you can change your actions. So think positive thoughts and do positive things. That's number one. And rule number two is those candles, when we light them, nor have to be seen by others because it's not enough to inspire yourself. You have to share that inspiration with others. And that is the number one best technique for getting out of depression, getting out of dark times in your life, is to share and do good things for other people. And I recommend that for everyone that I'm counseling, that I'm speaking to, that is having a hard time in life, is try to give back to someone else. Find someone who's in a worse situation than you and do something good for them. So finally, to conclude, I want to tie this into the Torah portion. In this week's Parsha, Yosef, Yosef is a dreamer. He has dreams of greatness. And then he goes through tremendously difficult times in his life. He gets sold into slavery by his brothers, thrown into a pit. He goes down to Egypt and eventually gets thrown into jail. Yosef has been through everything. And yet somehow Yosef becomes a master of this lesson of inspiration. When Yosef is taken out of jail, he's told in this week's Parsha of Paro's dream. Paro sees seven fat cows coming out of the Nile River that are then consumed by seven skinny cows. And Yosef says, ah, the seven fat cows are seven years of plenty and they'll be followed by seven years of famine. And Yosef says to Paro, what you have to do is you have to, in the years of plenty, you have to put aside grain for the years of famine. And that sounds like a pretty obvious thing, but Yosef is really teaching us the spiritual secret. Good times don't last. Good times don't last. There will be darkness. If you're in a time of light, what do you have to do? Put aside. Put aside packages of inspiration. How into actions that you take in with you into your life with consistency. Because those are the things that are going to get you through the dark times, which are inevitably going to come. How did Yosef know that every good time is followed by a dark time? Let's look at his life. Yosef was born in the lap of luxury. 
He was the most beloved son of his father, Yaakov. Suddenly, it's stripped away from him. His beautiful, multicolored garment is ripped off him. He's thrown into a pit with snakes and scorpions. The next thing you know, he's being sold by Arab merchants, and he becomes a slave in Egypt. Everything lost. He was at the height of the world. Suddenly, he's at the pit of despair. But suddenly, now, now he finds himself in his master's home in Egypt, and he rises up to the height of the ranks of the slaves. He becomes the, the head of the household underneath his master. He's again on top of the world. Next thing you know, his master's wife accuses him of, having, of attempted rape, and he's thrown into prison again, into a pit, the Torah says. There he is back again with nothing at the bottom of the world again. But then very quickly he rises up amongst the ranks and he becomes the most popular guy in the entire prison. And he's counseling the other inmates. And suddenly he, he interprets the dreams of two of, uh, of Paro's servants who find themselves in jail. And he's again on the top of the world. He tells them, please remember me to Paro. Tell Paro about me when you get out of here. And, of course, they, one of them gets out and forgets completely about Yosef. For another two years, Yosef falls back down to the pit of despair. And after those two years, Paro has a dream and pulls Yosef out. Again, Yosef's on top of the world, becomes the viceroy to all of Egypt. Yosef was a master at recognizing that life is full of ups and downs. What do you have to do to survive? Store away the goodness in the times when life is good. Know that it won't last. Put it into consistent actions, mitzvahs, that you take upon yourself to do every single day so that in the times when you're not inspired, you'll still have moments of connection in your life. Whether it's lighting Shabbos candles, again, the idea of bringing light into the world, whether it's putting on tefillin every day, saying Shema, saying a prayer, giving tzedakah, giving charity, find something that you can do, something small, something easy, but something consistent. Because inspiration is compared to a soul. Inspiration is a spiritual experience. But a soul can only live and only last in this world when it's in a body. The body is the mitzvah. That's the actions. Put your inspiration into actions. And in that way, it will last forever. So I want to bless us all that as Hanukkah fades away, we can take the experience of this light this essential, original light of creation, the 36 hours that Adam, who is the collective soul of humanity, experienced, the light that we experienced in our mother's womb for nine months, that we can recognize that that's in us. It's with us. We have to bring it out. That's the idea of chinuch. That's the education, bringing out the greatness that exists within every single person. We don't fight darkness head on. We bring light into the world, and the light already exists inside our souls. Have a beautiful Shabbos, an uplifting Shabbos, and recognize that Hanukkah has within it the keys to get through the darkest times in life. At the end, there will be light. The dawn is coming, but we can preempt it by bringing light into the world through our actions, doing good deeds and sharing them with others. Have a beautiful Shabbos. Thank you for listening.